We uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody. Welcome back to the 44th episode of the third sub. And if you like the Canadian Premier League, this is the episode for you. The final is uh, as of recording tomorrow. So we're at express recording, express uploading, express everything, speed to get this bad boy up as uh, before the, the Canadian Premier League final gets underway. Bright and early for us Pacific timers, classic. Uh, PST trope, but it's 11 o'clock, bright and early. Well, it's not bright and early. Today was bright and early for the, the press conference and media day. Good old 8, 8, 8 o'clock on the Friday morning. But before we dive into all that in our, in our show, uh, I'm your co-host, Alexander Gonge-Ruzic, and I'm joined, as usual, Samuel Rowan, who was uh, at the, the press conference this morning as well. And we've watched all the games recently, so we're excited to talk in a, a basically what's just going to be a CPL preview. So before we do that, How's it going? Yeah, it's going pretty well. Excited to dive into this finals preview and, and I guess kind of touch on the last couple of matches we saw as well and anything that stood out to us from this morning. I mean, my biggest impression really is, man, things have moved very quickly because it felt like the first stage was just moments ago and we're already talking about the final. And you and I have lamented both on this podcast and privately off the podcast that it's a real shame that it's come and gone this quickly because we've really been enjoying our CPL soccer and uh, yeah, just, you know, going to really soak in this last match and enjoy it. And hopefully it's a good one. I mean, there's lots of things potentially kind of pointing towards a, a nil nil, but, but we, I think we'd love to have a barn burner as well, you know, like a, a four three or something like that. It's 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 obviously going to depend on how the team's set up, what what lineups are out there, and how the nerves affect things. But uh, it's it's going to be interesting to too, to see this final at a neutral site and you know no or, or incredibly limited fans. Don't know exactly the role that will play. I mean, obviously both these teams very comfortable with the environment but at the same time a final is always a little bit different so yeah very excited to to watch tomorrow and and fun to talk about it here on the podcast and yeah hope everyone listening is just as excited as we are well i mean yeah i think the the fans part is pretty interesting because i think halifax definitely stands to take advantage of that just because of the proximity to PEI and the whole Atlantic bubble that's going on there where all four of the Atlantic provinces are kind of open to each other but not to anyone else and they've had like limited to low cases and they can live a lot more closer to a normal than we ha- we can in other provinces so that's certainly you do wonder obviously it sounds like most of the hardcore fans will be at Wanderers grounds to watch in their home stadium and a watch party but there will definitely be a stronger Halifax support in the PEI. But I guess to start, Sam, I mean, you were high on Halifax since the beginning. Uh, you just call it intuition, call it a hunch, call it knowledge, call it whatever you want. And then I think Forge, I, I don't think it takes a genius to be high on Forge. 
So do you think this is the best, uh, this is a fair matchup? Or this the, are these two teams the best teams we've seen at the Island Games? I think in terms of current form, absolutely. I mean, Halifax has, it, it's been a combination of last year, they weren't really as poor of a team as it showed in the standings. I think that was a bit of a, you know, a, a, a bit of an underperformance from them. And then you get, some real key additions. And as I touched on, if we're going all the way back to the CPL preview, my point was that some of these guys they added were, were more in the form of proven commodities or guys you felt like you could rely on, where some other teams, it felt like there were a lot of question marks. Would all the pieces fit together? And Stephen Hart really knows what he's doing. I think he's got the confidence of his team. He, he keeps things relatively simple. You know, he was talking about on, in his press conference this morning, you know, tactics don't win a match. We've just got to set it up in a way for our players to go out there and perform. And, and even being very gracious about his coach of the year nomination, which is something we're going to get into just saying, Hey, you know, I, I help kind of assemble the team and put it together. But once it's out in the pitch, it's entirely up to the players. And then he's actually, you know, thankful for the way the players have performed so far. So yeah, I think Halifax has been, I think there's an argument to be made that when Cavalry is fully healthy and when they're playing at their best, Cavalry and Forge might still be the best two rosters in the CPL and are a little more proven, but certainly Halifax is right there. And in terms of current form, absolutely, they're one of the two best teams in this tournament. And then in terms of Forge, I mean, we've been it's, it's not exactly been a genius take by both of us to be high on Forge since the very beginning. And we, we both picked them, I believe, to go to the final, correct, even at the, even at the beginning. Yeah, I definitely had Forge to, to final. I think I might even had Forge to win. I'm yeah, so, I mean, that, that's just it, – it's a no-brainer. Forge is the class of the league, and it was funny to hear <laughs> uh, Bobby Smirnotis taking little jabs at cavalry. Cause someone asked something to the effect of, Oh, well, cavalry were, you know, regular season champions. And he was quick to say, hey, like, there's only there one is champion. only one trophy. There is only one champion. We were the 2019 champions. I, I love that little bit of snarl and confidence. And that's the, that's the swagger that forge has right now. They're the, they're the champions and they're acting like it. And they're full of confidence going into this one. So yeah, I, for me, it's the two best teams in the tournament. I think Cavalry has something to say about, you know, being an overall roster at a similar level and obviously Pacific on the rise as well. They just feel a little bit short of having everything come together, but four great teams in that second stage. But ultimately, I think a, a fair result to have these two in the final. Well, I think if you look at Forge and Halifax, I think they're going to really – they're going to set the precedent for what teams should prioritize in the off season, because obviously I'll, t I'll mention Edmonton because I was high on them. And I think I still with the right additions that I can still maybe not high on them. I, it was a prediction. So you always kind of go for your dark horse. They're my dark horse and I liked what they brought, but for them, one issue that suffered, they suffered with was depth. And I think if you look at all teams that were eliminated to this point, depth played a role. Edmonton injuries, sink them from the beginning ottawa again they just didn't have the depth to finish out games and it hindered them york they had two center backs like that's that's just not depth and you look at valor same thing injuries at the back end despite their really improved play torched them pacific fc cavalry great first you know 
Cavalry finishes first in the stage one Pacific, you know, most aside from some bad results, they were, they come, they, you know, obviously it came down to the last match day, but they pretty comfortably qualified despite the late winner from Bustos. They were just, you know, they had some, a bad game against Ottawa in the second last game that kind of torched them. But then in the second round, what kills them? Depth. You look at Halifax and Forge, they're the two deepest teams in the tournament by far because, you know, Pacific brought like 17 players to the tournament. That's not a lot, but their top end talent is immeasurable. Same with Cavalry. Same, they already had a thin squad. They suffered from injuries. It torches them. I think in this unique tournament standpoint, Halifax and Forge are probably the be- two of the best teams. I think I still do think the, the final four was a fair reflection of what we saw over the course of the tournament in terms of quality. I think no doubt the four teams, Halifax, uh, Forge, Pacific, and Cavalry, they're on their own tier right now. And the other teams are, some of them are close. I think they just need the right additions. But to make the final, it's, it's all about depth. When you're playing every three days, like look at Halifax, they rotated full, fully nearly every game. You, it was a nightmare for fa- CPL fantasy. Shout out to anyone who's in the fantasy league. Cause I was, I was trying to, I'd always try to pick Halifax players and they, you just didn't know if they're going to play the next day or not, even though they'd have like 10 points the day before. I know at the beginning I had Joe Morelli in my lineup and he scored. I'm like, Oh, he's going to be in the lineup, a great pickup. He didn't play the next game cause they rotated him. And, so same thing with Forge too. Their depth is like they at one point they were just switching front threes every game for fun. And the aside from Kyle Becker who played pretty much nearly every minute of every game, they rotate and their defenders they rotated pretty heavily in the fullback position, the other midfield positions at the at the front. So I think depth is going to be key next year for teams. Obviously, with a normal schedule, it won't play as much of a role. But I just do think there's a lot of quality in all eight teams. But to be successful, it just shows that you can't. If you can use your depth properly, as Samir Notice and Hart have, and credit to them for rotating their talent at their disposal, you can really make some damage, you know, just long-term and not kind of be the, go on these little runs where you do really good and then you fade out with fatigue or injuries and all that. Well, what I think is really interesting is your your point about depth kind of shows the evolution of the league from year one to year two because i think in year one some teams just struggled for kind of overall quality in their starting 11 and this season it certainly felt like every team had quality players and when every team could field their best starting 11 there was there was something there and it was competitive, really competitive. it was dangerous i mean i think atletico and Valor or maybe the two biggest examples of that because going into the tournament, you were like, geez, I don't know. This could be a mess. And then they both played really well. And as you said, it was just ultimately like whether it was Atletico when they got late into the match and they had to make some subs, there was just a drop off or Valor. It was just a little too thin at too many positions where they you know, didn't have that variety. They didn't have that rotation they could rely on. But I think, it shows that the league's moving in the right direction. And hopefully as COVID eventually subsides and it makes it easier to bring in players. I mean, there were talks on the uh, media call this morning about players who, you know, weren't able to come to this tournament because of COVID restrictions. Those guys you have to think for 2021 are going to be there in addition to new signings as the, the profile of the league grows and, you know, the clubs continue to progress. I think we're, we're moving to a stage next year where, Hopefully, each CPL team has good depth. It's just 
a matter of who has the better depth because yeah, you're, you're completely accurate in saying right now that, you know, the Wanderers and Forge really have, you know, some of the, some of the most depth in the CPL and also, you know, just quality players throughout, like you were talking about Halifax pre-show their level of play doesn't really drop off throughout the bench. It's just guy after guy after guy. Like you can almost lose track of who's who because it's, it feels like they can throw anyone out there and they're going to do a bang up job. So hopefully we see more clubs get to that level of comfort with their depth players. And, you know, it'll just help this league continue to take step by step by step. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's good to see the, for me, one of the, it's good to see a lot of good Canadian depth, a lot of good young Canadian kids. And I think the mandate of the league has kind of been play U21 minutes. And honestly, I, I like the U21 minutes rule. I'd maybe like an amendment where there's a U21 and a U23 minutes rule, because I do think it would be good to encourage more U23. And it's, it's just harsh in the case of Pacific, where they absolutely clobbered the U21 rule last year, whereas a lot of those guys were all in their 20s. Now they're over and obviously they've made it pretty comfortably, but it would be nice to just encourage more Canadian, young Canadians playing. So I'd like to maybe amend it to a U23 rule and even heck, maybe even throw in a U19 rule, like have three different tiers you have to reach of minutes, but it's just been good to see a lot of good Canadian depth. And I think if teams can wisely copy what some of these top teams have done, which is, bring in quality internationals, bring in guys like Alejandro Diaz on Pacific, bring in guys like Alex Marshall on Halifax, you know, guys like Hyder Cordova. We didn't see much of him for Cavalry, but he seemed really good. You look at, yeah, you look at Forge, obviously Paulo Sabak, he looks like a really class player. And obviously he hasn't even really settled yet, even despite his moment. So it's just exciting to see what teams can do in year two, uh, year three, I guess now it seems weird to say with, what kind of quality and depth they bring in. Cause with all these loans we're seeing from MLS teams, I think if you're MLS, you absolutely want to loan your players that can't get good minutes as it, as they showed it's immensely valuable. And there's a lot more kids kicking around than we think. You look at teams like TSS Rovers, Calgary Foothills, guys in league one, Ontario, you got, you know, guys on teams such as let's say just Vaughn Azuri, for example, I think of Ryan Raposo last year, what he did. And then he goes to back to college, he gets drafted there's guys and PLSQ, especially we mentioned that Tristan Demel, that league is even just criminally underscouted. So it'll be exciting to, to, to bring teams next year, next year. And just to kind of transition on to the next point that you have written down here. So I'll ask it to you how, if for this result, because obviously it's a unique situation, it's an abridged season. I don't think it's the perfect solution for a season, but it's a pretty darn good one. But how does this result, if Halifax wins or Forge wins their second, affect the history of the CPL? Do you kind of see an asterisk just because it's only a 10-game slate to win? And, you know, it wasn't the it wasn't the immense parody schedule of year one where everyone kind of played each other four or five times. Okay, that's the, that's the season. And then you actually have a fair indication of who the best two teams are. So kind of no matter who wins, do you think this is a – you know, how does this result shape up in the, the, the history of the CPL maybe? Well, it's, it's interesting how you in, interpreted that question because when I wrote it down, I guess I was thinking of something a little bit different. I was thinking of the way this result goes to me has a bit of a, you know, ends up dictating a bit the feeling of the hierarchy within 
the clubs in CPL because I think if Forge wins back to back, then you know they very much establish themselves as the top echelon of the league. You know, like a a Celtic per se, where it's you know kind of they are they are the class of the league, and other teams look to vie for that title, but they're kind of the de facto favorite. Whereas I think if Halifax wins, it sets a standard where, and maybe this is a little bit of hyperbole, but I think we're we're allowed to have a little bit of that. You know, if Halifax wins, you you have a team that was you know down at the bottom, forgotten about last year, and they make some they make some serious, but overall like relatively subtle changes. It wasn't like they just kicked everyone to the curb and threw the plan out the window. It was more of a sticking to the plan and kind of adjusting on things that went wrong last year. And you've seen this massive progression. So I think I, I guess I'm making a bit of a selfish argument that for the overall health of the league. I feel like it's probably better if Halifax wins because it gives this this real boost and kind of sign of hope to all the other teams in the league that, hey, if we make the right improvements and we kind of you know, just tweak things in a good way, we can be right there vying for a championship in the final match in a year's time. And I think your point is valid where, yes, does Halifax – you know, maybe get a much better run at the finals because they're only having to play 10 games to do it. Sure. But I, I don't know. I have a relative confidence that Halifax would have been a quality team over the course of a, of a full length regular season as well. So I don't, I don't consider it to be an asterisk. I think, you know, people have made good points and this is not necessarily in soccer, but in other sports as well, where, you know, things like NHL playoffs or things like NFL playoffs, like there used to be less teams and there used to be less games and now there's more. So the fact that the amount of games has changed this year, no matter what the sport's in, I don't think really means that much to me. It's the same stakes. It's the same league. It's the same level of competition. So I think you just have to adjust to whatever you've got. So I don't consider it to be like an asterisk, but I do think that whoever wins this title really kind of affects the the feeling and hierarchy of the league. I feel it's the hierarchy one, uh, the, the asterisk one. I don't think it's an asterisk. No, but I do think it's too small of a sample size to maybe say who wins is the de facto champion. Cause I think last year, right. Obviously That's understandable. For, forging forging cavalry were so far ahead that it was obviously going to be that, them or, and there's always a debate. Maybe was cavalry, the better team was forged the better team. You could debate about that all night, but we kind of knew those were the top two teams. But with how the, I feel like this this was too short of a sample size because at least the other, I think of the NHL, they still played, what, 70 games? I mean, heck, they awarded a Stanley Cup in 2013 after a 48-game season, and that wasn't yeah. as much of an asterisk because that's a lot of games. Over the course of that kind of time, you it evens out. It's just, I feel like six games, essentially. That's what the season was because right. that's the first round. And then after that, it's... Is six teams really a fair? I just feel, for example, if Forge were to lose, how tough was that for them last year to yeah. go through a 28-game grind, win a two-legged final home and away, go have to go to Cavalry's ground and win and to lift the trophy, whereas Halifax will, will have gotten six games and then in a neutral ground and then a further three and then a final, a one-game final, all in a neutral ground to have won the trophy – you do, you'd have to feel for Forge in that case. And that's nothing against Halifax at all. That's just the logistics of the formats of the tournament. I think Halifax is, if they are to win, they're a very much deserved winner. I just, for me, it just seems so weird that it'll be such a weird one to look back on at 28 game season last year. 
sounds like there's going to be another 28 game season next year. Yet there's just this one year in between where it was essentially a six to 10 game season. It is weird, but I'll definitely tell, as you said, it'll definitely set up the hierarchy going forward, no matter what happens. And I think either way, we're going to see a pillaging of CPL teams because these, these players have quality. I think that's why we saw a lot of guys move on that last year. And I think we're going to see even more. And I think it's only a matter of time as forge, who is pretty lucky to only lose Tristan Borges, in my opinion. They're going to get ravaged too. I feel soon if they keep to if they keep winning, like teams are going to have to eventually take notice. And uh, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting with the Concacaf League, and because they still have Concacaf League to play later this year, and obviously the Voyagers Cup final to play. So whoever wins, obviously has a lot more ahead of them. But it's it's just it was an interesting question. I thought putting out there, kind of you know. No, I, I think the debate is certainly certainly valid. And this is something that, you know, across COVID-ravaged sports that's going to be discussed for years and years. Like, what is the legacy of 2020 athletics and how do we interpret it as time goes on? And um, the one thing that I think, you know, to make a bit of an awkward, but, a, but I think appropriate transition is something that's maybe even more difficult to judge is individual awards during this tournament because as you said the, the sample size is so incredibly small so if it's so difficult to, if it's difficult to judge a team then it's even more difficult to judge you know the impact of a player but we do have three nominees for each category of the major awards that were announced this morning and so i'd like to just very quickly we're not going to spend too much time on this but touch on each of the categories and let's start at the back in goal with the Golden Glove, you've got nominated Tristan Henry from Forge, Callum Irving from Pacific, and Christian Oxler from HFX Wanderers. So, uh, Alex, thoughts on those three? Well, first, I feel like we'll, we'll go. I'll go. I want to put one more award ahead of the the goalkeepers, just because it's okay. one that's still very much in play. Technically, they are all in play, but the one that has the least amount of swaying power is the Golden Boot. You can't you can't sway opinion on some because the other awards are opinion based. You know, people vote. Someone's a winner. I think you know we know that, but the Golden Boot's still very much in play. And I just want to point out that Akeem Garcia. I think we, well, we all know he's leading the way, but mm-hmm. he has six goals already. And I, it's interesting because Borges won last year with. I always forget the exact number. I always mix it up between eleven and and twelve. I'm going to just confirm here to not say the wrong number with uh, with Borges is 13. It was 13. He had one in the final, 12 in the regular season. It's just it really credit to Garcia to score six and eight, basically, because he didn't play the ninth game. Borges That's, scored his pretty, 12. Pretty productive. Borges scored his 12 over like 28 games. That's like every, you know, that's that's not the greatest rate. And the, the like, Well, not it was a very impressive rate to lead, but I'm just saying, for a striker, usually when you see a Golden Boot winner, usually the it's, striker would. It's score. maybe not the highest rate for a Golden Boot winner in the regular season. Usually, we see something like a like a sixty percent or sixty five percent seventy kind of and goal scoring rate. And that's, and that's across the league. And I think it's maybe credit to the defense, credit to how teams are built to not have one guy just you know destroying the league and six goals and like eight games is pretty impressive. Obviously sample size, Taron Campbell, for example, at 11. And at one point, eight of them were in like a, a, an eight game period. So obviously players get hot, but I guess credit to Garcia for that. And right now, as the race stands, it's, it's, it's going to be Garcia Morelli, you know, barring a miracle because Garcia has six, Morelli has four, 
Bustos has five, but he's not playing. Um, you know, and then from the, the next, the, the closest forge one, I don't even know because they, they've their spread offense it around is so pretty, pretty evenly. Yeah, their, their offense is so balanced. So you, for them to, to to have a golden boot winner, they'd need like a four-goal performance from Kyle Becker because he leads the team with three. And I'm just – if Kyle Becker scores four goals, like, wow, credit to him. Like, MVP right away. We don't even yeah, have to debate absolutely. the other one. But I guess to move on to the other one, sorry, just to, to go, kind of go on that mini, mini tangent there. But golden glove for me – that's a tough one. I, like, I does think it come me, down to who wins the final? Because I don't know if – I mean, Callum Irving didn't even play the, the full tournament. So as much as he yeah, was, no, I don't think was quite Irving good, did. I think he's kind of out of the running. If it's anything, down to the other two. If anything, I would have put James Pentemis over him for Valor just, or Nacho Zabel on Ottawa just because they helped their team so well. Like they were just, they really like Pantemis was really good. I, I was going to say Pantemis for Valor for me would have been the third there instead of Irving. If I was making that. And like, game. it's because Irving worth had a shocking start to the tournament. Great goalie last year. In my opinion, Nolan worth shocking start. Irving was really good, but then he really faded at the end. Like I thought he, he, the last two or three games he played, he was not at his best. There was the game against Edmonton where he drops a very obvious and, cross and to give Irving credit he bounced back and made some huge saves against Edmonton at the end of that game but, but for me in terms of consistent it's more I feel like the Golden Gloves is more of a consistency award and I guess you can call it the Nate Ingham argument because last year he was definitely the flashiest goalie and most people think he's the best and I think you, you can make arguments for it but for me when I want a goalkeeper there I want solidity and for me that screams Tristan Henry just because he's yeah. criminally underrated with how solid he is. And if you watch him every game, he doesn't make many, you know, mind boggling saves. He makes a few, I think every goalkeeper does, but he just makes everything look so routine. But Oxner as well, he, he's kind of a mix of a goal. He's really flashy, but he also makes a lot of solid saves. And I think he's fundamentally really sound. And I think on the Halifax defense, it, it, it's tough. It's tough to rate them, but because they play behind two of the best defenses, arguably, so, like, they're not getting as many chances as they could. But I think it's going to come down the final. I think Henry has the edge for me just because he's criminally been underrated. And I feel like it would, you know, you don't want to make awards make up for last year, but it would kind of make up for last year. And I think he's just been really solid for the, the most part. And I think you notice, for example, when Bajman went in in the last game and he allowed two goals, obviously they needed to play him for U21 minutes. And that's sorry, the last game of the first round. If Henry's in there, I don't think that that happens. So. I'd say Henry gets a slight edge, but definitely if Oxner keeps a clean sheet on Saturday, he's definitely, he wins in my opinion. Yeah, for, for me, my impressions are very much the same. I think that Henry's kind of the, the default leader in the clubhouse, so to speak. And as much as you don't give out awards for things that happened last year, I, I think just his overall body of work maybe kind of edges him ahead just a little bit. And often these kinds of awards, things like that do play in whether or not that's, you know, whether or not you think that's fair or not, it just kind of happens that way. But I think my impressions of that award are pretty much the same as yours. So with that, yeah. let's, well, let's, well, I don't know, you have one more point. thing you want to say. Get a little more last love point. to the keepers, eh? Yeah, it's just, I was going to say, lucky for Oxner saving his bacon is that he didn't play on Wednesday because mm. Jason Beaulieu allowed five goals. And to give credit, Peter Shala wasn't in the lineup. So maybe we could talk about potential MVP candidate that isn't getting enough love, Peter Shala, because their backline looked terrible without him. And, you know, Griffard, the usual partner, started. So maybe Shala is a little more important than we think. But good thing Oxner wasn't in that 
in that game because that might have proven to us maybe that he was or wasn't deserving of the the golden glove but i think oxner again full credit i think if you're looking at a, at a race they're really high up in the, in the race close to each other it's just henry has a slight edge but yeah i, I guess you what, what do you want to go to u21 player and I'll yeah, yeah let's player, let's touch right? let's touch on u21 so the the nominees mo farsi from cavalry chris novick how do we nasa is just like Insa. that nasa Insa. from ha- halifax wanders and julian dunn from valor and for me as much as i as i've enjoyed being a bit of a wanderers fanboy it's mo farsi for me i think like far and away he's just been the the most notable young player in the tournament and just has has such enticing quality. So I think that would be my choice without, without making it too complicated. Yeah. I think for me, it's, it's going to be Farsi and then I'm going to put Julian Dunn and then I'm going to put in in third, just because of Halifax balance, how balanced they are. And he's been really impressive and young defenders don't get enough love. So it's good to see two defenders in the top three of this award. Cause you know, typically it's okay. This youngster scored a bunch of goals. He's great, et cetera. So, but I just think what Dunn brought to that Valor backline was just so impressive. Whereas Halifax, as we said, their depth hurts them in these kinds of individual wars because, yes, Insa was really great whenever he was played and he was very versatile to put in shifts at right back after playing a lot as a center back last year. But I just thought what Dunn did was so impressive. And then for Farsi to go into that cavalry lineup, when I saw he signed, obviously I'd heard from people in Quebec and Montreal that he's a quality player, but I'm like, okay, he's just kind of, gonna gonna you know he's gonna be a bench guy for cavalry for him in one of the best teams of the league to force his way into a starting spot as the tournament goes along and just to contribute on both ends of the ball be a force offensively like yeah it has to be mo farce it was his breakout breakout tournament for for him and so i think that's a fair one so i guess next uh coach of the year before we go to the big one well so this is I thought this one was really interesting in terms of the nominations, not because Stephen Hart and Bobby Smirnotis were, were were nominated, because I think that's kind of obvious. But the that's fact that the fact that Mista was the, the the third choice there, I think created I don't want to say controversy, but I think there's mixed opinions about about that. And I think on one hand you can look at what Mista did and be very impressed, but on the other hand, was it worthy of a coach of the year choice when I think you have Pamaguduka who did some really good things. You've got other coaches in the tournament that, you know, maybe might've been equally deserving. I think for me, this one probably goes to heart, but um, I, I think that, you know, those top two candidates both are, are, are very deserving. And I'm interested here, Alex, your thoughts on, on Mista being the, the other choice there. Yeah, it has to be hard. I think, uh, unfortunately awards, tend to be, you know, it's redemption arcs. You see that in hockey with the Jack Adams. It's always the coach of a, usually a garbage team the year before who becomes a great team the year after. And we always see that. And I think that's fair because it shows the work they, they've done. And Smirnyors is going to get hurt with how solid his Forge teams are. And I don't, I think it's, if you're looking, if you're, you're, you're looking at the eight teams in the CPL and you're poaching a coach, it's definitely down to Smirnyors or, Tommy Wielden Jr. for me, just because they're the two best coaches. But for coach of the year, for what Hart has done, it's Hart by a country mile. And I think Smirnotis is definitely second because you still got to give him love for what he's done. And honestly, if 
for him, it's unfortunate for him to win coach of the year. They basically have to go undefeated through all 10 games. And that's just an unfair standard he set for himself. And then third, for that reason, it has to be Ka because me, Mista with Ottawa was playing with house money. You know, he had only to go up, whereas Ka takes over a guy in Silverbauer who Mike, I mean, Matthew Baldissimo straight up said he didn't like as a person and saying that he didn't like as a coach. So they're saying that on the broadcast. I was like, you know, I heard, you know, you'd heard rumblings that Silverbauer wasn't well-liked and he kind of grifted the people the wrong way. But for, basically Pacific was kind of, from a coaching perspective, kind of at rock bottom amongst the eight teams. So for Kata to come in, set a culture, just everyone in that Pacific team is so fun-loving and they get along so well and the energy in that room is contagious and they play nice football to boot. Kosh should have definitely got more love just because Mista was playing with house money you know, with, with in terms of playing an expansion team, he had no expectations. So for as a coach, that's not fair. With Pacific, they have high, pretty high expectations for a young team because they have good players. So Ka wasn't exactly going into a no-pressure environment. So definitely Ka got robbed. But I think, yeah. Yeah, I, think I mean, that's, maybe that's, maybe that's our, our, you know, maybe people on the East Coast would say that's our West Coast bias showing. But I think there's there's some good logic behind that one. And yeah. That's so far where we seem to be in relative agreement on these awards. So I'm interested MVP. Going, going to player of the year. I don't know year. what to say. This is the toughest one because all three of these guys, I think you can make a really good case for in Marco Bustos, Akeem Garcia, and Kyle Becker. I mean, I'm not going to be upset with any of these guys winning the player of the year. I think they're all pretty thoroughly deserving and yeah i'm gonna kick it to you first alex because i'm gonna gonna buy myself a little bit of time here i think for me it's tough because there's the difference between most valuable player and the best player and and most valuable player bustos gets a really good shout and obviously people are going to be like oh he scored two goals two assists everyone's going to look at that in a meaningless game yeah but even before that, the, the goal against Edmonton to get them through, just the quality he's brought as a signing in the offensive third for them. You take Bustos out of that attack, the attack changes. You take Garcia out of the Halifax attack. They're so deep that I feel like, you know, I feel like it's just, he's a really good player and credit to Garcia for what he's done this year. But I just don't think, you know, it's, it's the classic striker scores a lot of goals gets put in that conversation. And, and again, he deserves to be in that conversation, but for me, he can't go higher than third. I, I, that might, I'm sorry to any Halifax fans that believe he can be the MVP. I do think I could listen to some arguments just for me. Just again, I, I said it earlier, Halifax is hurt by their depth. I just, you know, Garcia in the lineup improves them, but you could also play a front three of Jao Morelli, Alex Marshall, and Corey Bent, and I don't think they'd miss as much of a beat, say, of Pacific if they'd play if they'd sub in someone for Bustos, for example. That's why Boost, it was always a revolving door of left-wingers, Blasco, Verhoeven, and Hurd, whereas Bustos kept his place. And just without Bustos, they looked a noticeably worse team. So if you look, and same thing with Becker. We look at Forge as a deep team, but they don't have a Becker replacement. And, like, he's such a talented player. He sets the tone defensively. But he's such a good tempo-setting midfielder. He's two-footed. He's got a long range of passing. He scores goals. He does it all. And there's, that's why the Vancouver Whitecaps are looking at him as a potential signing for their midfield. And I think it, it, just from what, what we've seen, I, it's hard to give someone who didn't make the final an MVP. But at the same time, it's only one extra game. Like Unless someone goes out there and gets a hat trick tomorrow or just carries the team on their back, 
I don't think the final is going to sway too much. So I think just because of Becker kind of got robbed by the fact that Borges scored so many goals and was dominant offensively last year, I think it's Kyle Becker's award this year, and I think Bustos gets the second place. So it might be a bit hot, but I've got Becker, Bustos, Garcia. And honestly, I could make the argument, as I said, that Shalas instead of Garcia in the front three, but and the front three, top three, sorry, but defenders don't get enough love. That's just me. Yeah, so I'm maybe I'm maybe a little bit lower on on Bustos than you are. I think Bustos comes in comes in third for me, with Garcia in second and and Becker in first. And and I think you you said something that's pretty much perfect to describe why Becker deserves the award. He does it all. He's a good defender. He's a good passer. You know, he can he can score goals. He's a good leader. Like. He's just yeah, he ticks, it, all, he does it. ticks all the boxes, right? And he is for Jeff C. Yeah. You, no one no one represents the team better. No one, you know, is more important to their team. And, and I think, yeah, he's the kind of guy you could stick in almost any position on the field, like, you know, throw some gloves on. I don't know, maybe he's a decent keeper. Like he's just he, he's, he's got the height for it. Yeah, he's the he's the do-it-all kind of player that you just love to have on a team and and yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm sure he's going to have, even if even if Forge is the drop, the result in the final, like he's still going to be an impact player in that one. And I can't imagine that, you know, there's going to be much that's going to change that impression of him as a player in the final. So, uh, I, yeah, I think it's clear cut for me. He's the, the best player in the league right now. And I'm disappointed because I think if Yao Morelli had not been suspended and played a full <laughs> tournament, we might have seen – we might have seen more because yeah, I don't know. I'd still make the argument that he's the most important player on Halifax when he's at his best as opposed to Garcia. But you know, that's, that's quite a statement because obviously Garcia has been immense throughout this tournament as well, but it's just, yeah, the, I I were a little averse, I guess, to the the pure goal scorer getting the award. It's kind of nice to see someone else get the recognition. And I think Becker's deserving on this. Well, the goal scores, they got their award, the golden boot. Exactly. (laughs) But I guess I think that's enough awards talk. Maybe when we do our wrap up, uh, we uh, I think we will we'll make our own awards. Maybe kind of like what we're gonna do soon with the white caps. But that's another no no white caps talk today. Besides Kyle Becker, we'll, we have another episode for that. So if you like white caps, stay tuned for that. But, but I definitely want to do kind of see what we think in our complete wrap up of the, the the tournament, which we'll do after the finals. For example, most improved player. I definitely do want to think maybe even picking a team in the tournament, um, picking, you know, maybe biggest disappointment player. Obviously that's not much of an award, but you know, <laughs> you, you kind of have to pick it. You could even, we could even go for goal, of the tournament, um, you know, other, other sorts of sorts of things like that, because I do think there's some awards that just, you know, there, there's not enough awards almost awards are fun. Well, there should always be more awards. I feel like it's, it's just fun to have awards. So I think we'll definitely do some of that. Cause I do think there's a lot of these awards were too, almost too easy to vote for in a way, aside from the MVP, which is never fun. We want arguments. We want people, you know, debating all that. So we'll, we'll, we'll return to that. So I guess kind of we're nearing our end of this, this episode. So I guess kind of the only two things I'd, I'd want to talk about is, who who how do we think these two teams would match up and who do we think would have the best chance in the Canadian championship and then maybe we can quickly touch on the commissioner's comments and then call it a call it episode 44 so first I mean how do you think these two teams match up what do you expect as a result heck throw me a prediction for for Saturday yeah so every 
this was brought up three or four times throughout the the media conference. You know, every match between these two teams has been incredibly cagey and kind of, you know, defensive teams sitting back, figuring each other out, not wanting to, you know, leave themselves overexposed. So I, I, I feel like we're destined for the classic ultra cagey final where, you know, it's nil-nil into the 80th minute. And the, the only question is, you know, does someone get a – get a goal during regular time or does this go to penalties? And obviously it's a little, it's a little disappointing from, I think a personal perspective and for most fans that this is going to go straight to pens as opposed to getting that, that, you know, that glorious extra time that we, that we enjoy so much, but uh, yeah, without being overly imaginative, I have to, I have to say I'm probably picking a, a nil nil and it going to penalties. Cause that just kind of feels like the way the match is, is going to go now mind you these two coaches might come out with something creative and you know completely hit us off guard and i think that if if we're going to have a surprise result and and i use that in air quotes i think that you know if if things don't go right forge could just run away with this one and win like a three nil but i am not predicting that i think that halifax is going to be composed they're going to kind of gather themselves after that you know, the time off they've had in that match against Pacific that, you know, wasn't really much of a match. And I think they're going to hold things together. And then ultimately the, the Ox will make a save or two in the penalty shootout and Halifax will complete the dream run, albeit just by the skin of their teeth. But that's, that's the prediction I'm going to go with. Well, because we have an affinity for betting against each other and having it go both ways. I think it's Forge's game to lose. I'm, I'm going with Forge. I've said it since the beginning. So why stop? now and they're just they're they're deep i think it's it's hard to bet it's certainly hard to bet against it's just i just think in the final their experience is going to shine through and i think it's going to take a moment of genius and i think it's going to come in the somewhere in that between the 30th and 60th minute i think one of the many forwards they have or kyle becker even or just someone's going to snatch a goal and it's not going to be the nicest goal but it's not going to be an ugly goal it's going to be a goal it's definitely going to be a goal and then after that, in the late stages, Halifax pushes, Forge scores again, 2-0. I think it's one of those finals where the experienced team just takes over. It's going to be tight. I don't think that. I think there's going to be chances on both ends, but marginally so. It's going to be really cagey. But I do think, unlike your prediction, I think one there's just going to be one moment of just breaking it open. And I think Kyle Becker is going to have his fingerprints all over it. Same with Paulo Sabak. It's probably going to be through one of those two men. And maybe it's going to be someone like Anthony Novak to all of a sudden complete the dream i score in the first game don't only only score one other time in the tournament score in the last game or it's going to be someone surprising or waking up like you know david or who's been excellent or element say just coming out of nowhere kind of thing it's just going to be forge scores once and then the lot it's kind of you know like in the last goal it's going to be someone like god mobile bully or someone just scoring out of nowhere to kind of put the game to rest so that's kind of where i'm going i think it's it's really well matched teams I just think in the final, seeing how inexperienced Halifax is and how young they are, just not sure if this is their year yet. And I, again, I might eat, I might eat complete crow. And I, again, I believe in Halifax. I'm just thinking from a prediction standpoint, this is why I believe Forge is to win. So, since we put ourselves out here, no boring predictions. Forge two 0 Book yeah, the, it. Don't book it. That's my prediction. The experience one is is really curious because we just don't know. Yes, it's a final, but it's in such a strange environment. Like, will that have more impact? Will it have less impact? It's just, it's a factor we can't really pin down until we see it. 
in person. And so I think that's one of the things that makes it so difficult to predict, but ultimately you just want to see a good match. And I think we're going to get that no matter what. So to kind of wrap things up here, I just want to touch on a couple interesting little tidbits we got from uh, the CPL commissioner this morning and his media availability. And um, one of those things was that at the moment, the Canadian Premier League is anticipating or at least planning for a full 2021 season. So uh, I'm interested, Alex, to hear your thoughts and just kind of, you know, obviously we want to see that happen because the more CPL matches, the better, but just your, your thoughts on what the commissioner had to say in that regard this morning. Yeah. I mean, good. Hopefully they can safely pull it off. So financially it's viable a viable plan. Hopefully they can find a way to make it all work, but it'd be good. I think it would just be good to get CPL action back on. I think that by the time next year, they'll have had over a year to prepare for this sort of return. I think that's, that should, should be more than enough time to put this all together. I think it would be great. I don't think expansion is feasible right now. I think, and noticeably I noted for the first time in a while, David Klenikin spoke and no one asked him about expansion. I think people realize that. I think maybe in 2022, you bring in a Quebec team, you bring in Saskatchewan, a Saskatoon-based team for it to get up to 10 teams and then just continue to expand from there. But I think for now, use your eight teams. Pretend it was the 2020 you didn't get to have, for example, for Ottawa. Have your 28-game slate. Figure out a way to make it feasible. Maybe make when teams have to travel from west to east. They play a bunch of games all at once or something so they don't have to limit, they limit as much useless air travel as possible you know maybe even since teams will technically be in you know bubbles maybe even have two teams travel in one private plane to save money like just do whatever you need to 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 make it work but i'm excited for that well and certainly you could have a scenario where you go on a road trip say it's like your pacific and you play york forge and atletico ottawa all on that same trip right you can you can get creative with it. You can try to make it as efficient as possible. And as you said, because they're going to have basically an entire year to plan for this, hopefully everything will be able to go off without a hitch very much in the way the PI bubble did, because that was a a great success with no positive cases. And the one last thing I wanted to touch on from the commissioner was he was kind of, you know, prompted into this. And so I'm not sure how much exactly we can read into it, but he did suggest that clubs have reached out to the Canadian Premier League about hosting or at some point doing some kind of invitational tournaments, whether it's preseason or whatnot, involving Canadian Premier League teams. So I was curious, kind of from our perspective, if that is something that's going to come to fruition, what would we like to see? Like, what would be a a dream scenario for one of these little invitational or preseason tournaments that involved CPL teams? I think it's simple. West East, I think limit travel i want all four western teams pacific cavalry edmonton and uh, valor just to kind of go in a four-team bubble play a bunch of games against each other to make it worth your while so like maybe play each other twice over a two-week span trying to think maybe like every two games three day games for for you know three days sorry for games so it's reasonable so it's not too long so maybe it's like a two week to a month long proposition so it's not anything overly burdening for people that have family and then maybe at the end of it give out some sort of dinky fun trophy and then start making it a habit because 
I don't think teams played enough preseason games. And, you know, I, I think maybe the plan is in the future in a dream world. You turn this into a big deal and like turn these into an inv- invitational call it. God, I don't know the, you know, for example, like the West Hills invitational and every year invite two teams from Mexico, two teams from heck two teams. Well, obviously the preseason might not align. Obviously if the seasons align more, maybe even have MLS teams have, two teams from freaking Guatemala if they can afford to come and just kind of have a little preseason tournament year over year. And obviously teams preseason's plans vary. For example, Cavalry was good before COVID hit. They were going to go to Mexico for a few weeks and play a bunch of games there, which was a good idea. And other teams had different ideas, but in this unique scenario where you're in a bubble, I'd love to see CPL only preseason, preseason, postseason. It's such a weird concept because there's such a big gap, but whatever you want to call it, I'd like to see that. Well, yeah, the only I, – I very much agree with, with your proposal, and I guess the only little wrinkle I'd look to add over time is, you know, say so you take that West and East bubble, but and, you know, we're obviously more concerned with the West bubble. What if you were to add the Whitecaps development squad? You were to add TSS Rovers. You were to add Calgary Foothills. You are add, you know, these – Just, yeah, everyone. Just, make and it get more... the, make it this real, like – developmental kind of you know young like kind of under 23 level but obviously with maybe some older slightly older players in the cpl team have this great kind of showcase of young talent for canadian soccer i think you know whether that's just cpl to start out with or you're able to involve some of these other teams just the the more opportunities for some of these guys to get minutes the better and i'd i'd love to see that you know as as a bit of a a glutton for like FA cup and U S open cup and, you know, even nations league content, the idea of seeing this kind of competition between levels and between leagues is always so much fun. So it would be great to kind of have some of these matchups in between leagues. And obviously this is, you know, contingent on a, on a more positive and more stable COVID environment that hopefully we're going to get to. But I think the fact that the commissioner was willing to like openly, talk about it and entertain this possibility is is only positive because for the likes of you and i alex these kind of tournaments are just a a bonanza for for content and good discussion points so hopefully at some point down the road we get we get to talk about one or two of them and i i just feel like it's it's gonna set the table for my dream canadian championship that is contested by 30 plus teams yeah, gone are the days of three teams, and rest <laughs> in peace, the Whitecaps. I mean, they missed—they really missed the boat to to win the their their, their championship, more championships in the three-team era. But again, enough about the Whitecaps. Um, you know, it'd just be nice to have a sixty-four-team tournament. Honestly, throw in—you know—I I guess the goal over the course of time is for everyone to have an equivalent of League One Ontario, PLSQ, and or the new League One BC or whatever the heck they're going to call it that's coming. So that maybe the top two teams in each of those leagues joins the tournament. Maybe, you know, all the MLS teams joins, all the CPL teams. Obviously, there's going to be more divisions in the CPL added, all this, this and that. I want to see it become a huge – heck, I want to see a chance for amateur teams to, to qualify. I mean, obviously, I guess League One. It's semi, all those teams are semi-pro, I think, or semi-pro borderline amateur. But the more Cinderella stories, the great. How awesome would that be for someone, for a kid playing? Playing at I don't know a team in you know premier of 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 VMSL they win the league and they get to go play in the freaking Voyagers Cup like how awesome would that be I think that would just be the more the merrier like there's no point there's just you, you don't lose like why not try it out it's it's 
the more the merrier. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. But we, we've talked about that a lot. So we, we won't need to rehash our dream proposal for that. So I kind of, I guess, you, you got any more points from the, the Klinikin availability? I guess kind of the only one I had is we don't really, maybe it was the kits. I think we could quickly touch on yeah, that. Yeah, you, you, asked, you asked a good question about the kits and whether or not the fact that, you know, we didn't see too much of the, the all black strips and the fact that the fans hadn't, seen them at all yet in person like how would they deal with that next year and i saw i think it was someone in your mentions on twitter twitter said well why don't they just keep the two kits they have now add next year's kit and have all three available for next year and i think to me that seems like the best solution but uh yeah it was a good question and i don't know if i I have the right answer. Obviously, I have mixed feelings. We we ripped into a lot of yeah. those black well, the kits. Well, thing is, there's some the really started. good kits. Also, I have to yeah. say, they look better on screen oh, yeah. than in those promos. Those promos just but the thing did is, not hit for whatever reason. But actually, on pitch, it was it was all right. Even I, the ones I didn't really like were they were okay. Yeah, and the black kits, they're safe. I'm just I think we were more pissed about the idea of uniformity. Because it's a missed a opportunity ML- and because Adidas has scarred us in that regard. And it's different with MLS, at least the big collars and the triple stripes. I like that more than all the same color. Cause at least there's some, still some really nice kits within the MLS template. Whereas it felt, it just feels weird where everyone's dressed the same. I just don't like that, especially after what we saw year one. So I, maybe I wouldn't mind a case where all the team's white jerseys are their away they designed completely new home ones. And then the black kits are the third kit used in case of conflict or just, you know, kind of the third kit. I feel like that would be kind of the dream scenario here and maybe have, have, so yeah, have the away kits be the white or home. Cause I guess in football, white is usually home. Have all those white kits be home, have each team. Cause Kalana can confirm they already have 21 kit designs for 20, sorry, not 21 kit design, 2021 kit design. And sorry, there weren't 21 different designs. So maybe have the, hopefully all of those are dark versions of the white kits. So they have a dark one, a, a light one, and then the black ones for whatever third kit, God knows, you know, you know, who knows what. Just, just so, an alternate when the team feels like it, or, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a night match, a special night match and they want to bring it out. I mean, we see it in the NHL. We see it in the NFL with color rush, right? Like, Lots of leagues yeah. do this. So there's no, there's no reason why the CPL can't follow a similar path. So, yeah, I think that, that was it for the kits. I just felt like it was interesting because, yeah. for example, Forge is a really nice kit. Them only playing night, you know, a handful of games in it. Is that before going to a new one? Is that really, is that feasible? Or, I mean, maybe in the case of Pacific's home kit and York's away kit maybe it's for the best that they don't we don't see it again in 2021 but at the same time there are some nice kids so just was putting out there but I, I don't know do you have anything else that stood out from the uh, the commissioner's availability well just to to finally touch on our kind of like dream preseason or offseason tournament scenario i just i'm in, encouraged by you know if there's one massive kind of side effect of this island games tournament aside from the fact that we actually got a CPL season where we might have, you know, missed out on it otherwise, it's if it maybe opens up the CPL's eyes eyes to, first of all, like getting involved with other clubs, you know, hopefully that's a that's a possibility down the road, but also just considering this tournament format because I, I, I think they saw how well it worked. Like I think it's it, overwhelming success, you know, 
in, in the grand scheme of things. And so hopefully they're open to that format in the future. And, and that's a, if, if that's an upshot of this tournament, then I think that's terrific. And yeah, just looking forward to the final tomorrow, uh, excited to see which of our predictions, if, if either of them comes true and, uh, yeah, we'll be back, uh, as you said, with a a more full and you know well-rounded CPL wrap-up once the season is properly done and dusted. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it. So I guess on that note, find me uh, on Twitter at Alex Gungiruzic. I'll try to be tweet the. I'll try. Sorry, that, that came out. I'll try to tweet uh, for the CPL game and just whatnot. And BTS at BTS Fan City, BTSFanCity.com. Might have some post-game coverage, maybe not the day of. You know, it's it's going to be tight with the Whitecaps game later in that night. But I'll definitely have some more CPL coverage going. You know, in the next few days. So stay tuned for that. And I guess Sam, throw it over to you to to wrap her all up. Yeah, as always, you can find me at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter and at eighty six forever dot com. And yeah, should have some written stuff up, kind of recapping and decompressing a bit on the CPL season when it's all done. So you can, you can check it out there and on our Twitter at uh, 86 forever on Twitter and yeah, hope everyone's well and enjoys the match tomorrow. And we'll be back again soon with more CPL content. So thanks everyone for listening.